Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and we're recording this on a really lovely gray day here in Portland. Um, I just love when we're gifted a little rain in the summer. It feels good for the garden and the trees, uh, so it makes me happy. I think a lot of people prefer the sun, but I I like when the rain shows up in the summer. Um, We have a really awesome show planned for you today. I'm, I'm very excited about the guests we're hosting and the conversations I expect we'll have Elise Krantz, our Common App Dynamo, will be here to talk about all of the new Common App updates, and I'll see if I can get her take on the new logo. And Jean Mahan will be here to talk about preparing students for the financial independence that comes with that first year of college. But first, we have a really exciting guest with some interesting ideas about higher education. I'd like to welcome Michelle Jones, the founder of a new college that opened in 2016 here in Portland, Oregon, called the Wayfinding Academy. Uh, You can find more information at wayfindingacademy.org, but we're going to talk to the founder right now. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ian. I'm really glad to be here. I am really excited you're here, and um, I've seen your TED Talk, and I've read about the Wayfinding Academy. There was an article in the New York Times. Um, There was an article in, um, I want to say that it was in Ed Week that I read. Uh, So a lot of really interesting content, but I think our listeners might be unfamiliar with Wayfinding Academy and could use just a little background. So do you want to give us the overview of how you came upon this idea and um, what Wayfinding Academy really does. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for doing all that research. That's pretty great that you read all of that stuff in advance. That's Um, great. Those are all good sources for just figuring out the basics of how we do it. Um, The short version of the story is that I was a traditional faculty member at traditional colleges for about 15 years and taught business classes there. And a little while after getting into it, I started hearing students, I guess I should say, I really started listening to students and Mm. their uh, joys and criticisms and frustrations um, and hopes and dreams about what they thought they wanted to get out of college. And frankly, that they didn't feel like they were getting that out of college. And I can testify that from my perspective as a faculty member, I didn't disagree with them and it felt like my job was mostly checking boxes and sorting them and giving grades and saying these ones are should go on and these ones should not and so forth. And it didn't right. feel quite like the career I thought I was getting into. So about, I guess, four years ago or so now, I had collected enough pieces of information from students, but also from faculty and staff in traditional higher education. And I thought, you know, when I ask people if if you could change one thing about college, what would you change? And I collected all the ideas and I thought, you know, I could probably create that. I could probably take all those ideas and make a college that does it this way that these people are describing. So that's what I did four years ago. So you did what finding academies. You founded a college. I said, you did what anyone would do in this situation. You just went out and created one. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I feel like (laughs) who doesn't do that? Right. (laughs) Exactly. It's uh uh, it's, uh, I don't recommend it 
necessarily. It's <laughs> probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's also the most joyful thing I've ever done. Now it seems, uh, straight, you know, three years in, uh, we, we just finished our third year. We just graduated our second class of students. It's a two-year college. Um, we're about to bring in, in a couple of weeks, our fourth cohort of students. And then quickly thereafter in January, our fifth cohort. Um, and it seems strange now to be able to talk about all of this as if, oh, yeah, this thing just exists and this is just what we're doing. But four right. years ago when I told people I was, oh, I'm going to go start a college, I, I got the craziest looks and had to figure it out um, by doing, basically, because st- colleges don't start. It's not a thing that people do. Um, I had to, there's no manual of step-by-step, here's how you start a college. So I worked with the Higher Education Coordinating Commission here in the state of Oregon, and I started out with my dream. Like, I want a two-year college. I want it to be like this. I want them to get a, an associate's degree in self and society, which is mm-hmm. not a thing that exists anywhere else. And I just sort of said, I think, I think we could do it this way and this way and this way and this way. And to their credit, they said, this sounds great. It sounds like a really innovative new model of higher education that will serve a lot of people in ways that we're not currently serving them. Here are our 28 regulation standards that you have to abide by, that every college in Oregon has to abide by. If you can match these to what you're designing over there, sounds great. And sure enough, we could and we did. And um, So they, they now get, our students, our graduates get an associate's degree in self and society, which means basically that half of the program with us is self-exploration focused. Who are you? What are you passionate about? What are you interested in? What are your skills and talents? And then the other half is society focused. What's going on in the world? What are the major issues? With the goal of being putting those two things together so they can figure out their purpose. What do they want to do with their life? And we help them to actually start doing it. Yeah. So I was looking at the timeline on your website and it really looks like it it was about a two year process of you. You did some um, crowdfunding uh, in order to get this off the ground, to buy a campus. It was really there's a lot of interesting steps that went along the way. And there's a a great uh, interactive timeline that people can look at. It's almost like you went through a two year course for yourself of what what do I think about education and how can I create an opportunity in society, right? So it's almost like your dry run was producing this college. And it sounds like the learn by doing approach is something that is is really important uh, in the way that your students engage with product uh, projects at, at Wayfinding Academy. Now, I wanted to ask um, about the kinds of students that are typically drawn there uh, because it is obviously um, a unique sort of educational project, who are you typically seeing has interest in this kind of opportunity? Who gravitate toward, gravitates toward this kind of a two-year program? Yeah, great question. I think, um, well, let me, I'll describe what we're seeing right now, and I think it's going to change over the years. But at least that's my hope. Okay. okay. Um, right now, we seem to be in a spot where we're mostly uh, catching people who are falling through the cracks or providing an alternative for people who have, generally speaking, although not all of them, tried going to a traditional higher education institution Mm -hmm. and feel disillusioned, feel frustrated. Uh, A general sentiment we hear a lot is, yeah, I went to to a community college near my hometown, or I tried going to a four-year college, and I got there and I thought, this is not what I thought college was going to be. It's 
very, very expensive. It's putting me and my family in a lot of debt. It's not really helping me figure out what to do with my life. Um, And then they discover us and think that. And we hear that a lot, actually. Just heard it yesterday from a prospective student who said, this is the thing I've been looking for. This is what I thought college would be for me. And so right now it's like like we're catching and serving people who... Um, otherwise wouldn't probably be going to college at all and would be trying to figure out what to do and who feel a little bit harmed or frustrated or angry about the education system. So that's sort of who we're serving now. Our our average age of our students is about 22 or 23. So most of them have done something else before coming here. A few come straight from high school, Um, but most of them, take a gap year or uh, work first or go to another college first and come here. My, my hope, though, is in the future that not specifically wayfinding, but things like this become part of our national conversation. As we're talking yeah. to young people coming out of high school, encouraging them to really pause and reflect and think, what do I want to do with my life and what's the best path to get there? Because for some of them, going to a traditional four-year college is absolutely the right choice. And for others, it might be that they can start working or they do an apprenticeship or they go to something like wayfinding or they do a gap year first. So it'd be nice that we could have a broader conversation in this country about not everybody should go to a four-year college right after high school or, or maybe ever, but certainly maybe not right away. I do think I do think that a lot of students sort of fall into the four-year college option because it is perceived as the logical next step. And the problem yeah. with that is that if you're not prepared for it or you haven't been particularly thoughtful about how you're going to take advantage of it, it costs a lot of money. And so it's not right. something that you really want to dip your toe in to see if you like it or not, given the kind of debt that you might get in um, if it's not something that's quite r- right for you. And, I, you know, I was really yeah. struck in that. And I feel um, like also... It, it, uh, so many, so many students don't complete, you know, they start and they don't finish. It's like, uh, right. I forget 40% or something like that of students who start college, never finish. And yeah. so that's, yes, a lot of debt and the, the emotional feelings of maybe shame or failure or something like that, that comes with that when, when it's not that there's something wrong with them necessarily, maybe they shouldn't have gone yet, or maybe the college system is not serving students well, or it's, it's a yeah. complicated thing. And so it'd be nice to encourage folks to pause a little bit and make that choice very intentionally. Yeah, I like the way that you sort of describe the the role of reflection in that and, and sort of thinking about what you want to do. I, you know, I find that students often struggle to come up with an answer of what they want to do with their life or what they want to major in. And I think that's okay. I, I'm really interested in, in the process of having that struggle and having that conversation and being open to think about what different possibilities kind of look like. One of the great features, I think, of your curriculum is the guide, right? Like you've got um, uh-huh. sort of uh, takes the place of a traditional academic advisor uh, who can be great in a traditional college and can be relatively absent um, and instead makes it front and center. You have a guide who's working with you to talk through your curriculum every single week through the Wayfinding Academy. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the role that the guide plays there and um, sort of what that experience might mean for students in general in terms of taking advantage of resources to have those kinds of conversations wherever they are. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that the guide is both the most unique thing we do at Wayfinding. In in some ways, we 
do things similar to other colleges. We have classes, we have faculty, we have students, uh, we have a core curriculum, things like that. But we do internships. So those are somewhat familiar to anybody who's looking into higher education. But the guide right. thing, I think, is the most different and probably the thing that other colleges could take and copy and adapt and use right away that would have a huge yeah. impact on student success. Yeah, and I think so too. So we, yeah, we have, so we have, um, guides are essentially holistic academic advisors where their main job, there's not a lot of academic advising though to do at wayfinding. Yeah. Um, so what they end up doing is meeting with students once a week as mostly an accountability partner, a listener, somebody who catches their story so that they can help students when they're ready to graduate because the guide sticks with them for two years. Mm-hmm. And then when they're ready to graduate, the guide can say, well, this is what I've seen you working on over two years. I'm reflecting this back to you. What do you think about this and this and this as next steps? And they make sure that they are both ready for their next steps after graduation and also that they're getting the most during the two years they're here. So they help them intentionally find internships, make connections in the community. Um, if they're having, well, I don't know, roommate issues or things like this, the guide can be a good listener. So it's someone who the students can feel fully seen by and supported by, but also held accountable by so that they get the most out of the two years and are ready for what comes next. They also help yeah. them build an online portfolio so that when they graduate, they have a collection of all of the projects they've done for two years so they can show the world, this is who I am. This is what I'm capable of doing. Right. The, the, the guide, I mean, it's just so unusual, I think, for young people to have a relationship like that with someone um, in any right. context. Uh, the, the accountability element is something that you don't necessarily get from your friends, even your closest friends. The opportunity to have these big, interesting conversations about where you're headed and how to get there. Um, often the conversation you might have with your friends, they're not as well resourced to be able to say, here are some suggestions for how you can go this direction. I just think it's so fascinating right. to build that in as a core element of the program that you offer. And I think you're right. It is the thing that colleges could most stand to learn from. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to ask you, because you, you sort of said when you got into traditional higher education, it wasn't exactly what you expected. And obviously, you're at the start of this Wayfinding Academy experience that hopefully will be long and fruitful. Um, what about this philosophy has been surprising for you? Or what has been something that you didn't expect uh, out of this program when you started it? Uh, wow. There's <laughs> so many things. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's... I was just talking with one of our recent graduates the other day who asked me a very similar version of this question. I mean, he said, is this kind of where you thought Wayfinding yeah. would be now? He was in our second graduating class. And, and I found myself reflecting on that and thinking, in terms of the, the way the thing works, pretty much, yes. The way the core curriculum and the internships and the guides and those elements come together, yes. But what I didn't necessarily expect is the importance of and impact of the community hmm. here. So we're hearing from a lot of young people who are applying to come to be with us. We, we ask a lot of reflective questions in our application process. Everything yeah, is conversation-based. They, they right. do do an online application, but there's no test scores or SATs or GPAs. Or, and it's, we're asking questions like, what, what are the big questions you have in life and why do you have those right now? And what are your interests and what communities have you been part of before? And what are you seeking out of the next two years, whether it's at Wayfinding or not? 
Um, so we, we start that conversation and carry it all the way through with them. And a lot of them are saying, I, I have all these interests and passions. I don't know what to do with them. I'm fine with that. I'd like help figuring out what to do with them. But what I really want is a community of other people who are thinking about these things, talking about these things, caring about these things. The things yeah. range from art to music to environmentalism to capitalism to who knows what. But right. it seems like what they really are craving, which makes sense, I guess, with this generation growing up mostly in the digital world, they're craving in-person face-to-face community and connection, which is what we provide, which I guess I always knew we would be providing that, but I didn't, I underestimated the importance of that to the people who want to come here. And then once they're here to making sure that they're getting that. So that I think has surprised me. And we've been talking a lot as a leadership team about how do we amplify that a little bit more? How do we create more organic opportunities for that intergenerational, cross-generational in the college and in the community opportunities for that. So that's probably our next stage of figuring something out. I, that, uh, that's such an interesting observation because I, I, I think that students who are in high school who are even thinking about traditional four-year colleges underestimate the role of community in their experience when mm-hmm. they're looking at colleges, yeah. when they're deciding where they want to apply, when they're making those decisions. I don't think that they're thinking really carefully about the role that community plays in their learning experience. And so between just this sort of observation you have about community and the role of the guide within your program, there are two really awesome takeaways, I think, for all students to think about what their higher education pathway can look like. Um, and there's really exciting stuff, I think, that's happening at, at uh, Wayfinding Academy. Um, Michelle, I want to thank you so much for coming on our show. I I wish we had way more time to be able to talk about this. Maybe we can have you on another time to, to continue to explore some of these ideas. Yes, absolutely. I would love to. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, of course. Uh, Folks, again, you can learn more about Wayfinding Academy at wayfindingacademy.org. It's really interesting stuff. You should go and explore it. Um, Michelle's TEDx talk is available there. Uh, They've got a very unique approach that I think is really valuable in the landscape of higher education. Um, So we're going to take a break, but we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. 
Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Now, we're going to move a little bit from the non-traditional to the very traditional. It's Common App Season. And the platform launched its redesign on August 1st to much excitement here at College Coach because we are nerds about that kind of thing. And perhaps the biggest nerd about new developments in the common application is my old pal, Elise Krantz. Hey, Elise. Hi. I love being called a nerd for the common app. It's like it's an honor, of, that a title that I'm honored to have. So yeah, yeah. You know, before we even talked about like the specific topics we want to talk about, I wanted to ask you on the air, why do you love the Common App so much? Like what you are just so fascinated by this stuff. You get so excited. Your enthusiasm is infectious. It's like I care about this thing because of your interest. Where where does that come from? What do you love so much about this? I have never been asked that question before. What an interesting <laughs> question. I, I I suppose because there are always so many nuances and because there are changes every year and so many of the details change from college to college and it's it gets overwhelming i mean from the student perspective it's it's beyond i think confusing when they're applying to so many colleges so for me to be able to go in and figure out exactly the word count for a particular essay or to know exactly what the change is this way we can be more prepared to help our students and i love being able to own that and understand it so that i feel like yes this is i'm the expert here and i can help anyone who has a question about the common app yeah, um, and you certainly are the expert uh, within our team. Um, we all know how lucky we are to have Elise around, and so I hope all of you listeners realize how lucky you are to have Elise on the show for this segment. So you wanted to talk about some of the things that you love about the Common App this year, things that are new and different. Um, what are some of those? What's the big thing that stands out that you're really excited by? Sure. I mean, I, I mean, the biggest visual change this year was just it's blue instead of black and red and white. I mean, it's just visually, it's it's sleeker. It's a nicer image. But when you dig in a little bit deeper, there are some small changes that I've noticed, some of which were intentional by the Common App and some that have just been sort of developing over years. I think the big one that's really nice that the Common App made intentionally a change this year was that they are really encouraging students to think outside the box when it comes to what activities are appropriate to list on their activities page of the Common App. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are still 10 lines 
to list up to 10 clubs or activities. There's still a character count of only 150 characters, so there's not a lot of room for students to describe what they're doing. But colleges care that students are or responsible, for example, for taking care of a younger family member or that they are volunteering in their communities or that they have a part-time job um, or that they just have a hobby that they love doing outside of school even though it's not a formal club. So many times students think this doesn't count. And colleges and the Common App are saying, yes, it does. We want you to be broad. Think about any way that you are spending your time meaningfully outside of the classroom. It can go onto the Common App. So that's, there's a little bit of a language change this year, and uh, especially highlighting family responsibilities and community engagement. And that's something that colleges care about. And so hopefully students will get that message that they should not think, oh, it's not official. It's not a formal club. It's, it's still appropriate if it's something that you're doing outside. Outside of, outside of school. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that we've been telling students for a long time, but it's nice to see it actually written in the application so that we can point to it and say, hey guys, look here. It really says we want to learn about everything that you're doing outside of the classroom. Um, and a great reminder that for students, they can sit down and just write out all the things that you do. What do you spend your time doing? Talk to your family members. Make sure that you're accounting for everything and then make choices about what you want to share in the app. But there definitely is that opening there. Um, right, and, and students sometimes aren't even aware that what they're doing is something colleges would care about. Like, it's just so right. ingrained. Of course, I take care of my younger brother after school. Of course, I make dinners three nights a week because both of my parents work. You know, they, they think, you know, this is just typical. This is my daily life. But that's something right. that colleges think is just as important as being student government, you know, student body president or being in, on the chess club or whatever, you know, any other traditional type of club. Right. And it gets at this core idea around building a community that I think is really important. And there is a new kindness question on the application that also gets at this concept of building a community and sort of bringing in students who think about kindness. The, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I don't quite understand yet how this fits within the actual application itself and the role that it might play in the evaluation of students by colleges. Sure, I know, and it's new this year. So this is brand new, and only four colleges that I have discovered so far are actually using this quote-unquote kindness question. But hmm. and, and I could probably talk for 20 minutes about just this topic alone. But very long story short, there is a new question that four colleges so far that I have found, um, they are Barnard, Harvey Mudd, Marquette and the University of South Carolina are asking. It was made available to all colleges on the Common App. Those four schools have chosen to include it as an optional question on their supplements. Um, and it stems from the fact that the Harvard Graduate School of Education has been working on this Making Caring Common project where they're trying to help students relax more in the process and they're trying to help colleges realize that uh, there's more to students than just having those fancy titles on a resume, and it's the little things in students' lives, like having a responsibility for others, that can make an, a good community, a good campus community. So the question that you may find on some of these schools' websites, um, it's a question that goes like this. It says, who in your life is depending on you, and what are they depending on you for? And so for a couple of the schools, it's a completely optional question. You do not have to answer it. And for the other two schools, they are 
offering it as one of three or four questions that you must choose. So it, it might be one that students might encounter this year and they might take a stab at it. And we will be putting together a nice blog post in the next couple of weeks about more about this question, how to tackle it, why colleges are asking it. Um, and But it's interesting. It's nice to see it on the application. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And it gets at, um, you know, we're seeing obviously we could talk about this forever, but like some of the uh, trends that colleges are moving towards non-cognitive variables, uh, non-cognitive skills in the evaluation process, like Virginia Tech and Oregon State University, there's, and just sort of figuring out who students are when they're coming into this uh, college environment, I think is really, really exciting and an interesting and positive trend uh, in terms of the application process. Um, Absolutely. There's a a lot to love here. what about some things that you don't love? I think you could probably gush on and on about the Common App, but there are some <laughs> things that might frustrate you uh, as well. Um, what's sort of number one of your list of um, if Elise were queen for a day, she would change about the Common App? So on the Common Application, they try to simplify the process to show applicants what is complete and what is not by using these little green check marks. There are so many pages within the application, and then generally speaking, they say once you see that green check mark, you should feel confident that that section is complete and you can move on. The problem is that for many supplements, college supplements, they have... Green check marks are appearing automatically on certain sections. Um, for example, on a school that asks, uh, have you ever visited campus before? That might be an optional question, and you might miss it completely if you see this green check mark and you just skip to the next tab. I don't know if I'm getting like too in the weeds here with the details, but it's <laughs> for, for students who are not clicking into every single tab, regardless of whether or not they see a green check mark initially, they might be missing the opportunity to share some information about themselves or about their connection with the school. Um, For example, this one is such a strange one for me, Syracuse University, they automatically give you a green check mark on their academics tab, and on that page, there's a question that's optional that says, do you have a second choice major? And so somebody who's just trying to complete the supplement quickly and they skip by that tab because they see the green check mark, they're not going to be able to answer that question. So that's just one little annoyance (laughs) with the comment. (laughs) I want to point out, we're recording this on August 8th, um, which means that this new Common App has been live for eight days now, max. And Elise knows all this stuff about individual school supplements. Uh, it's really kind of crazy um, and fantastic. I love it. Um, there's, there's so many supplements, so many schools to keep track of. You have to make sure that you're hitting your deadlines What is a new feature that the Common App has provided to help students know when they need to submit all of the materials for their applications? The dashboard on the Common Application looks different this year. The dashboard has been around for a while. It's one of the main tabs on the top of the page when you're on the Common App website. And I liked the view in the past. It was sort of like one, you could get a very quick snapshot of all of the schools on your list and you could see their deadlines. Now it's a little more spread out on the page, but I think this is new, but don't quote me on it, but I've noticed it this year and I like it. Once you indicate on a supplement that you are applying for a particular term, Uh, Under a particular deadline, for example, I'm going early decision to Boston College or I'm going regular decision to University of Michigan. Once you indicate that on the dashboard, it will tell you how many days left you have until your application is due. And you can sort that list 
according to the deadline so that you can see, oh, wow, I have 88 days left until my Elon app is due. And I think that's really fun, and it helps make this a little more real for students who sometimes procrastinate and wait until the very awesome. last week. But this way yeah. they'll see the numbers, and it's a little more helpful. I love it. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, and I, I think helpful, I think students should probably also have some sort of system that they're using to track their deadlines and make sure that they're on top of things. Um, but we're not here to talk about that today. We're still focused on the Common App. Um, there's also the help desk, right? Which I've never done because I just email you when I need help um, <laughs> or need solutions. Right. So I've never actually used the help desk. But you said that it's actually been really great so far this year. You want to talk about that? Would love to. Big plug for the Common App Help Desk. They call it the Solution Center. You access it when you're on any page in the upper right-hand corner. There's a little box, I think, that says, like, help and questions, something like that. And when you click on that, a new screen will appear. It will let you contact the Common App IT department, the Help Desk folks. These are tech individuals who are working 24-7, 365. They, I mean, obviously, they take shifts, but there is always somebody <laughs> there for you. I have emailed them late at night, like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, and by 1 or 2 in the morning, I have a response. It is unbelievable. And when you write back, because maybe they didn't understand the question or you need a little more clarification, they will respond back within a couple of hours. So there's no lag between getting the help you need, and I have already emailed them probably half a dozen times this year so far, and they're just they're phenomenal. They're great. And sometimes I've pointed out inconsistencies or errors, and they fix it, and they say, you know, thank you for that. We'll bring that to our attention, and it's they're really lovely. They're, they're, it's a great platform to use to apply to college. I feel like they talk about you when you're when you're. They don't, Ian. They don't. <laughs> at least, at least with they another don't. question. Who is this person? Um, there, uh, there's also there are some other changes to the applications themselves, and we've got a couple more minutes. But they're uh, around disciplinary history um, and pronouns and gender identity. Some some things that are just a little bit different about how colleges are handling different aspects of the application itself. Um, do you want to touch on those two things briefly? Sure. Yeah, this isn't a change necessarily by the Common App, but it is a change that colleges are implementing. More and more schools are asking as optional questions for students to expand a little bit about their gender identities or about the pronouns they choose to use. It was I just remember a couple of years ago, only a handful of schools I noticed did that, and now it seems like every other school is asking it, which is wonderful. And it may not apply to you, but if you're comfortable answering that question, go ahead and let them know, because this way they can feel like they're being more inclusive, and it's just a nice way for them to get to know all of their applicants a little bit better. And if it does apply to you, hopefully this gives you that little extra bit of confidence that your voice is heard in this process. Um, and as far as the disciplinary history, this I guess it's a plus and a minus, and I'll do this quickly because I know we have like a minute left, but um, this was one change that the Comnet made this year because they do not want students to feel, and colleges do not want students to feel that if they have had a disciplinary problem, it, like criminally, like a, a felony or a misdemeanor, uh, they don't want colleges to automatically feel like they should 
disqualify that student. And so what they have done is they have moved that question, which normally appeared on the main part of the Common App, they have made it available to the colleges to put in their supplements. And colleges are asking and are able to ask that question in different ways. Some want to know very specifically if you've ever been found guilty for a crime. Others uh, word it a little differently. They're being a little softer about it. And so you're going to see a lot of questions about disciplinary actions in the supplements this year. Every school is asking it. So instead of just answering it once in the main part of the Common App, students now have to answer it multiple times, um, which just it gets a little annoying, but so just keep an eye out for it because it's, it is new this year. A reflective of, I think, a, a positive trend from colleges in terms of, you know, whether to consider those um, sure. disciplinary sure. histories as disqualifying or not. So I think that's great. Um, all right, I got a final question for you. What do you think of the new logo, and what is it supposed to be? <laughs> the new logo. I know it's like a swoosh, right? Um, yeah. I, I, they're just trying. I mean, when I heard the the, the webinar when Common App was explaining and they revealed their new logo, they just they were talking about simplicity. They were talking about fun, and they were trying to make it accessible to our our Gen Z crowd. So I I think it I think it's modern. I think it's hip. I I don't know. That's probably not the right word to use, but I think it's <laughs> snazzy. I like it. I'm a fan. Hip and snazzy, not necessarily modern. <laughs> Those words aren't modern, but I think that the logo definitely is. Um, that's, I think that'll do it for another excellent Common App segment. Um, Elise, thanks for being our go-to resource on the platform and for letting me give you a hard time about it, too. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Ian. Thanks. Fantastic. And folks, remember, we've got lots more content on our blog, our social media, the Instagram account that we have for College Coach BH is uh, live and has tips about the Common App. So follow us if you want more information about the Common App and everything else that's connected to the college process. When we come back uh, from this break, we're going to have a conversation about a tough subject, helping your kids manage their finances as they prepare to leave for their first year of college. So don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? 
If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Before we move into our final segment, I want to do a week, our weekly school spotlight. Uh, what do the inventor of the Ferris wheel and the digital camera have in common? They both attended Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Situated on the Hudson River, just outside the state capital of Albany, Rensselaer is a techie heaven. The university's 6,600 undergrads can choose from an amazing array of STEM majors, such as aeronautical engineering, business analytics, and computer science. But the humanities, arts, and social sciences are alive and well, too. The popular games and simulation arts and sciences major with courses like history and culture of games and experimental game design is perfect for students interested in interactive digital media. And even philosophy majors, like me, learn to appreciate the sciences here with unique classes such as philosophy of artificial intelligence and minds and machines. I wrote my senior thesis on some of that stuff. On Rensselaer's 275-acre campus, there are over 250 organizations for students to get involved in, including Design Built Fly, the university's remote control aircraft club, Rensselaer Cheerleaders, and the 8th Street Swing Band, not to mention 23 varsity athletic teams and their ultimate Frisbee team, who beat us at a tournament once when I was in college. Fun fact, high-achieving math and science students may be awarded the prestigious Rensselaer Medal by their high schools, guaranteeing them a $100,000 scholarship if they matriculate at Rensselaer. Now, that kind of scholarship is pretty awesome, but not everyone shows up at college flushed with that kind of cash, and most students need to be smart about how they're going to manage their money across their first year at school. Joining me with some advice for all you parents out there is college finance expert Jean Mahan. Hey, Jean. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing very well. It's a great day uh, in Portland, and I know you were here visiting a couple of weeks ago because your your son lives here, and you know a lot about money and a lot about parenting, and we're going to help some of the parents out there (laughs) understand a little bit about helping their kids go off to college. So what are some first steps that you would recommend families take when they're having a conversation about 
how finances are going to work in that first year? Mm-hmm. Great question. So you really want to have a discussion with your child about who's paying for what. Now, maybe you're helping out with the tuition and fees, but you want them to be responsible for things like books or personal expenses, you know, their own pizza, transportation, shampoo, movies, whatever it is that they're going to do. So who's going to be paying for all that? Um, Will they have an allowance or will they be using money that they earned over the summer or if they're getting a, a job on campus, will they need to use those funds? So it's just helpful if everyone is on the same page with that. Once you decide that your child might be covering it, it's a good time to set up a budget. And how you can do that is either if you're planning to give them an allowance, you base the budget on the allowance. If it's their summer earnings, well, figure out how, how long those summer earnings have to last. Is it just the fall semester? Is it the whole year? And help them to kind of figure out how that works out per week. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell kids, too, to have, like, an emergency fund, even if they just have, like, $100 that they can stash away and they sort of forget about that because you never know when you might need, when an emergency is going around. You might need an extra book or something comes up and you don't have to worry about putting that on a credit card or worse yet, not having it at all. Right. And, and I think you probably should also have a conversation with, as a family about what constitutes an emergency, like mm-hmm. eating another pizza, <laughs> maybe not an emergency in the way that you think it is in that moment right. um, compared to, you know, needing to get, home from uh, being across town late at night. Um, now, right, I, I wanted, exactly. you mentioned um, you mentioned a little bit about bank accounts. Um, and I remember when I was going to school, there was a, a fair um, during orientation week for students to sign up for credit cards, bank accounts, whatever it may be. Um, how should families sort of think about that playing a role in this process? And, you know, what do what is students have to learn about credit cards um, for their Mm -hmm. first time going away for college? Yeah. Well, the good news is out of the the bad economy that we had nine or 10 years ago is that the the banks kind of put a a stop on going to colleges and recruiting kids for credit cards. It was a bad situation, and thankfully they're not doing it anymore. But a lot of parents want to send their child off with a credit card. They might be an authorized user on their parent's card, or they may get their own with a, you know, a very small limit, like three or $500, whatever you would think would be what they would need, like if they needed to come home quickly or if they're putting their books on it. Really want kids to understand what it means to have a credit card. Um, and who, again, who's paying for this? Uh, is it mom and dad? Is it the student? So that they understand that they need to pay that balance every month or they're going to start incurring interest charges, which is going to make it a lot more expensive. They'll see on their bill that they might have a minimum payment of 10 or $20, and that sounds great, doesn't it? But if they're now accruing interest at 19 or 20%, that's not good at all. So making sure that they understand they need to open that bill or open the email from the credit card company and pay that bill when it's due. Um, it's helping them to establish good credit. So, you know, that that's something that they want to start learning about as young as 18 and that it's, you know, how they're using that is going to affect their future credits. Um, so if you, uh, whether the card is in the parent name or even if it's in the student name, if you really want to be helpful, maybe in the first year you really want to be on top of it, help your child understand what they're supposed to be doing with it, um, is you can sign up for alerts. So every time the card is used, you'll get an email saying, you know, where it was used. Um, 
that means you can have a conversation with your student about whether you think that's an appropriate use, especially if it's your credit card or if they're going to be able to make payments on that. So really just having a good conversation about how often those credit cards can be compromised. Happens. I have a couple of cards, and one of them is compromised at least once a year, um, and that <laughs> happens pretty frequently. So, yeah, you know, making sure they're careful with the card. They're not leaving it lying around. They're not sharing it, you know, that right, kind of thing. right. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, careful with saving the information in your online mm-hmm. order forms. And, you know, if you're using a public computer at the library for school and you do some online shopping, probably not a good idea to do it that way. No. Um, and this, I think that this is sort of a concept that is important for a variety of reasons. It, students start to have a digital identity when they go away for college um, that's attached to their credit. But there are other important numbers, like their social security number, bank account numbers. How do you sort of talk to students about, or are there resources to talk about keeping that info safe or even best practices that students might want to Mm -hmm. subscribe to? Yep. Well, I think the best practice is that you don't give that information to anybody, particularly if they are calling you. I mean, your bank is never going to call you and say, hey, what's your account number? They know what your account number is. Um, And so, you know, you're going to go, you're going to provide your bank account number, you're going to provide your SSN. There's a lot of scammy callers out there. It used to be just that you'd get those calls on landlines, but they have gotten really devious, and now they they can get us on our cell phones. And sometimes it's, you know, uh, a call offering a student employment. All you have to do is send us $50 or $100 um, or give us your Social Security number. Or, you know, it might be from the IRS threatening to jail them for unpaid taxes if they don't, you know, provide some sort of a credit card number immediately. So really important to explain to your kids that these are scams. And if they're not sure if it's real or not, they can just hang up the phone and they can call their bank and say, hey, were you looking for me? Um, so really important not to be uh, providing that inter- information to anyone that they don't know. Now, if they're at, the, at their school and they're, they're asked for a social security number at the registrar's office or the business office, that's perfectly okay. But never when it's just information coming, you know, questions from somebody that they don't know. Really, yeah, really you- important. You can always you can always circle back in those scenarios um, as a student and call that person separately. Um, this is something that I think, Gene, you and I get hit over the head with this all the time from our IT department. Um, you know, <laughs> don't respond with your password. And we're like, well, obviously, but I think that uh-huh. there's a there's a first time you have to learn those things, um, yeah. and we don't want that first time for a student to be because they made a mistake. Right. So it's a good idea to be aware of this and and make sure that you've got all your bases covered. Yeah, Um, definitely be aware. Yeah. And now there are some other sort of there are a lot of accounts out there. Right. And and, you know, not every student is fortunate enough to be able to mooch off of mom's Netflix account, (coughs) brother's Spotify account. Some of them might actually have to use those things, especially when you start thinking about Lyft or Uber. Um, How do students sort of think about keeping track of all of the sort of accounts that are tied to their payment systems and making sure that they're sort of budgeting in a smart and responsible way. Well, since most students don't have tons of money, probably just doing a simple budget on a spreadsheet is going to be pretty easy for them. You know, what they can do is put down how much money they have available to them every week and maybe in another column just denoting, you know, what they're spending in those areas. I still like And when we work with families um, on, you know, money programs for young children and teenagers, I still really like a simple 
check register that you can get for nothing at the bank because it's a way for them. It's small enough to carry with them and they can, you know, put in their debits or any other recurring charges that they've got. So if they're using their debit card to have Uber or Spotify or whatever, they'll know that those charges are coming out on a certain day of the, of the month. Um, but they may also want to just think about, do I have a maximum per month on Uber on some of the other things, eating out, that kind of thing, so that I'm not going over my, my allowance or my summer earnings. Um, right. It's just so easy to just call an Uber and jump in. But, you know, sometimes, I mean, I've taken them in some cities, and it's $25 to go a couple of miles in the rain. Um, right. Worth it when you have to be at work, but maybe not worth it if you're just running to, you know, to a restaurant or to another class or something. So being a little bit more mindful about how they're spending um, so that they can stretch their dollars a little further. Yeah, I think I think habit forming, we often talk about habit forming on the UG Ed side with study habits, making sure that you're setting the right tone for yourself going forward. And I think you can do the same thing in this regard. Um, if you start uh-huh. tracking your debits as you're spending from your first day uh, out of the house, then that's something that you're going to keep up consistently. I think it's a lot harder to sort of try and add in a new system when it becomes a problem. So good right. to sort of set up some systems from the get-go. Mm-hmm. I'm also just sort of reminded as you're sort of referring to debit accounts of the penalty for overdrafting and how often that happened to my brother. Yeah. Um, he doesn't listen to this podcast, so I don't have to worry about that. But um, <laughs> he he would overdraft uh, frequently because he he just kept dipping below the line and wasn't paying attention to his funds. Right. So that's something that can happen, especially if you've got recurring charges attached to a debit account um, that right. you want to be aware of. That's when, you know... Um, making sure that you're uh, recording your debits and your deposits comes in really handy. I think a lot of young people just rely on the amount that's on the slip that they get when they withdraw money from an ATM. And they think, oh, okay, well, I've got this much, but that's Friday night. And then you use your debit card a couple of times over the weekend. And sometimes on my accounts, it's not hitting until maybe Monday morning, Monday afternoon. So you could be falsely thinking that you have more money in there. That's why it's important to budget. And that way you won't need overdraft protection, which can be pretty expensive. I mean, it can be $35 a pop. So if you're overdrafting often, it's going to really add up. Um, The average um, fees that a typical bank will charge are over $300 a year for a typical account. You know, if you're making a certain number of withdrawals from an out-of-network ATM um, and so that's really something to to stay on top of. So if your child's bank that he has at home or she has at home has an in-network ATM that's at his school, great. You don't have to worry. But if it's an out-of-network, then they're going to need to either set up an account closer to school or they're going to have to factor in those um, over the, um, the, the ATM yeah, the fees every time that's they right. pull out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, so a twenty dollar you know, withdrawal can be pretty expensive. It might be you know another five or six dollars in fees from an out of network bank. That's that's right. That's right. Um, so then you just buy it a Snickers ice cream bar and you get cash back and <laughs> you're you're spending, you're spending the money <laughs> exactly. on some really useful stuff. That's that was my approach. Um, right, Gene, yeah. there's a lot of really great nuggets in here, and I think that you know fundamentally it's about families having this conversation so that when students go off in the fall. They, they know what to expect and that they're prepared for it. Okay. So I want to thank you for coming on the show to talk us through that. Great. Nice talking to you today. Thanks again for having me.
Thank you, Gene. It was a lot of fun. Um, that does it for today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Um, I hope you all have enjoyed the conversations we had today and you've been able to consider some new ideas and take away some advice that will support your continued growth. That's really what we're striving for here. Next week, I'm back in the hosting chair, back-to-back episodes. Beth's on vacation, Sally's out, so you're getting me again. We'll be comparing financing options, talking through the who's who of campus staff, and working our way through the Apply Texas application. So I hope you'll join me. Until next week, I hope you're all able to take some time, slow down, and enjoy a good book before the fall semester lands on top of us, because it often lands pretty heavy. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.